0: As we mentioned earlier, we're going to begin a new message series today. We're going to be in the book of Acts, looking at the early church and how the early church turned the world upside down. I love that graphic. It kind of reminds me of that film. I think it was called Inception a few years ago. But it's the book of Acts is an exciting book, and I hope we can all catch catch a vision for the fact that our lives as Christ followers can be just as exciting today. And we're going to look at um, some of the exciting things happening in the book of Acts. Kids, you can go to Children's Church, as many of you have already chosen to do. But head up there if you're K-6 through six at this time. So in the book of Acts, we've got this group of regular believers, but they're Holy Spirit-empowered Christ followers they want to live out their faith in a countercultural upside down kingdom type of way, the way of Jesus. And they're fully devoted. They're fully devoted in their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to think I want you to think this morning, think about your life either right now or at different seasons in your life, what have you been fully devoted to? And be honest about it. I think some of us have been fully devoted to our favorite hobby, our favorite sports team, maybe your favorite Netflix series. I know personally, just a few, well, I guess more than a few years ago now, nearly 14 years ago when I was looking to propose to my wife, uh, I was fully devoted to driving a 1988 Honda Prelude. It was, it was really cool. The lights would pop up. Let me rephrase that. It would have been cool if I had driven it 20 years earlier than that but I was driving this in 2004, 2005, around that time period, a little bit more. But I was saving for an engagement ring. So I was fully devoted to driving a $1,000 car and eating wonderful things like Top Ramen so that I could save for an engagement ring. What have you been devoted to? If you really want something, you can be devoted to it, right? How much more so should we devote, be devoted to our faith in Christ? Let's go to the book of Acts for a description of the early church. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament following the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to be in Acts 2, 42 to 47. You can turn there now, and if you have a red Bible, you can uh, turn to page 907. While you're doing that, let me give you a little bit of context for what we're going to be looking at today. At the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he continues to appear to to the apostles, giving many convincing proofs that he is indeed alive. Then he ascends to to his Father in heaven. Then the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and all the believers are gathered. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in other languages as the Spirit enables them. And then there's all these Jews from other nations that are gathering there, and they hear this commotion, and they're amazed that they hear, the believers proclaiming the wonderful things that God has done in their own native language. Others are just kind of spellbound by this, thinking, what are these people drunk? What's going on? It was, the, it was the work of the Holy Spirit. So Peter explains that this was predicted a long time ago by the prophet Joel, and he tells the story and the plan of God, including the resurrection of Christ. Now I love what Acts one thirty seven says. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. Think about that. pierce their heart. Maybe you've experienced that. I know in my life, I was nearly four, sitting in church. There was no children's church back then. Sitting in church, we had a guest speaker. My heart was pierced. I heard the gospel. My heart was pierced. Many of you came to faith at a moment like that as well. Then they say, what should we do? Peter says, Repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, This is for everybody. It's not just for a few people, it's for Jews, Gentiles, everyone. And this is for us today as well. We turn from our sins, we put our faith in Christ, we're baptized, and we walk in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So Peter shares that this forgiveness is available. And 3,000 people believe and are baptized and are added to the church. Now we come to our text in chapter 2, 42 to 47. Let's stand together as we read God's word this morning. Acts 2, 42 to 47, page 907 on the Red Bible. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Please take a seat this morning. See, these new believers in Christ had been baptized and empowered with the Holy Spirit, and they were fully devoted, fully devoted. But what exactly were they devoted to? Four things we can see from the text specifically. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the sharing of meals, and to prayer. These are four essential elements of early Christian practice, and they were not optional. These were marks. These were the genuine fruit of being a Christ follower. And this can be a blueprint for us today as well. Now, this was a healthy church, but it was not a perfect church because it was made up of people, forgiven people, yet imperfect people just like us. But get this, 3,000 people came to Christ And there was a total there of 3,120. So 3,000 of the 3,120 were new in their walk with Christ. This would be any church's dream, but it would also create some other issues. Just think about it. You would need to disciple these 3,000 believers. Get them connected to a group. They'd have to learn the basics of the faith and God's Word and how to serve and all these different things. It would create a lot of Um, interesting situations. And this church as well, they would have their future problems, but God would be mightily at work in their lives. So think about Acts, the book of Acts, this way. Acts is a record of what Jesus continued to do and teach after his ascension, after he went up to heaven to be with the Father. But it's also a record of what he did through his people, what he did through followers. This is incredibly exciting because we know that this can happen in our day today. God continues to work through his people for his glory using ordinary people like us empowered by him. So Jesus is at work and now he wants to use us to do his work. And as Jesus was at work in that day there was a large move of salvation. This is what resulted. Look at verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now this, this word translated devoted points to a few different things. It points to constancy, purpose, and resolve. And out of the ten uses of this verb and the one use of the noun in the New Testament, six are connected with prayer, two with the ministry of God's word. I love that. Devoted. For me, I I resonate with that word resolve. To be devoted to something means you have resolved. It's like uh, those new believers. They resolved that they were turning to trust in Christ and to be saved. And I wonder in our lives today, do we have this sense of constancy, purpose, and resolve with, with respect to our connection to God, our walk with Christ, and our connection with other people. If you're taking notes, this is point number one. Being fully devoted leads to genuine connection with God and others. Being fully devoted leads to genuine connection with God and others. Because genuine connection is devoted. The believers in Acts were devoted to the relationship with Christ through prayer and God's word, and to their fellowship with one another as the body of Christ. Now, I mentioned that this verse 42 can be a blueprint for the church, and I think that's held true. Countless individuals, even in our recent times, have been fascinated with this single verse in the New Testament, and it has led to many churches being planted, massive movements, um, simply by meditating on verse 42 and what that could look like in our day and age So let's take a look at these four elements that these new believers devoted themselves to still in verse 42. The first one, apostles' teaching. See, the apostles had been with Jesus, and so they were qualified for this task of teaching. They were the guardians of Jesus' teaching. And I think it's reasonable to infer that the bulk, at this point of time, the bulk of the content of the apostles' teaching was the same subject matter that we see in Peter's sermons in Acts 2 through 4. And see, the apostles would have been explaining a number of things. How Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. How Jesus had to be rejected, crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And at this point in time, the apostles had a lot still to learn. But they had this one thing. They had the gospel message down. You saw 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Yet as we see, as we continue in the book of Acts, you're going to see that The apostles still had to learn about the relationship between the gospel and old Jewish food laws. They had to learn about the nature of the church, which now included Jews and Gentiles and other issues of the Mosaic law that wouldn't even be settled until Acts chapter 15. So they had some things to work out. But at this point, their teaching was very clear on the gospel. So they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. We can continue to be devoted to the apostles' teaching because we have that preserved in the New Testament scriptures, which are our foundation and starting point for following Christ. Secondly, they, had, they were devoted to fellowship. Some of you are familiar with the Greek term here, koinonia, which means sharing in or causing to share in. Also can refer to um, sharing in common. So we're in, in, with fellowship, we're sharing a common faith in Christ, but we're also sharing our lives together. God's Spirit is is present, and despite the fact that we are a variety of people, we have this common bond of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at Philippians 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So this is a great picture of fellowship. When we're connected to Jesus and to each other as the body of Christ, we can can collectively experience the mighty power of Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's part of what fellowship is. But here's the thing we don't often like. We also get to follow Christ in other ways, in ways like suffering. That's also part of sharing in fellowship with Christ, is suffering. So fellowship is a powerful concept, and it also refers to the collection and distribution of gifts that we're going to see a little bit later on in this passage. Thirdly, sharing in meals and or the Lord's Supper. I think the the case can be made that this text could be referring to both the Lord's Supper, communion, and simply sharing meals, as we'll see later in verse 46. We're not going to look too deeply at that today or resolve that question right now. But I think many of us know the power of connection through sharing meals. Let's take a look at our context here. Did I hear something there? Yeah. Oh, I thought so. Okay. Um, here at Bethany, I mean, our, our one of our biggest outreach event, Journey to Bethlehem, it's incredible. And what do we do every night before we head out to the journey or head out to whatever we're doing? We gather for a meal. It's a great time. It breaks down the walls. It's comforting. It's exciting. We grow in friendship. We also have a big Thanksgiving meal here at the church. We usually do something extra special at Easter involving food as well. Maybe your Sunday school class has a party at least once or twice a year. Your connection group has a potluck once in a while. Or maybe you, you've made the practice of just inviting people into your home for a meal. I hear those, these stories from a number of you all the time. It's a great thing to be hospitable in that way. All these things, sharing in a meal, they serve this purpose of fellowship and powerful connection. Finally, prayer. These believers prayed. They gave constant attention to all four of these activities, including prayer. The literal translation here is the prayers. And what that what that tells us is that Luke is likely emphasizing the fact that in the early days of the church, because the church had this Jewish nature to it, they were diligent in continuing to um, connect to these these, uh, observances of the stipulated Jewish prayer times each day, even at the temple. So they were committed to the prayers. They were also committed to prayer in general as they gathered together whenever they did that. Uh, So these were were newly saved Jewish believers who were just beginning to grasp the significance of of the things that they had done as Old Testament Jews, and prayer would be really integral to the whole movement of the church moving forward uh, and Luke really um, is excited about this concept. I think in our own lives we need to we need to be intentional about having a rhythm of prayer in our lives, and i don 't think we have to choose one or the other, you know, we're looking here about the prayers, the set times of prayer that they were devoted to. I think we can be committed to set times of prayer, but also conversational prayer. So what you may want to do is you may want to figure out what is that set time or times that I can have prayer. For many of you, it might be first thing in the morning before you go to work. If you have kids before your kids are up, you're doing your R and R journal and you can read God's word journal and then you can end by having a set time of prayer and you do that every day. Or for others of you you're kind of night owls. You're going to do this late at night. Everybody's in bed and I see a couple people over here nodding in that section. You're going to be you're going to be up late and you're going to have that set time of prayer. That works as well. But everything in between, we don't have to just stick with these formal times of prayer. We can have conversational prayer with God throughout the day. In my, in my life, I've got three um, high-energy, younger human beings in my life. I've got three little girls. And uh, I find for us what works to model this is to pray a lot in the car. It's kind of fun to pray in the car. So we'll be in the car, and if we drive by somebody's house that we know, we'll, sh- we'll say a, a short prayer for that person or that family or whoever that is. Um, if we see a car accident happen, or somebody on the side of the road and their cars broke down. We can pray for that briefly. Um, one of my favorites is we're going shopping or something and we're, say we're at Target, we'll pray for an open parking spot as close to the front. I call it a rock star parking spot. As close to the front as possible. And interestingly enough, I, it seems like nine times out of ten we get the best spots. I love that because my kids are thinking, this works. And it's for something as small as a parking spot. Um, And then we can do this at home quite easily as well. So we need to teach ourselves, our family, our friends that God cares about our needs, both big and small. And you can do that by modeling conversational prayer as well as set times of prayer throughout your day. Here at the church, we've got a number of set times of prayer available for you to connect with as well. Just this morning and every Sunday, we have all church prayer. It's at 9.05. It's a short time of prayer. We usually just form a circle over here to my right after the worship team concludes their practice, but before the service starts at 9.05. And we pray for the Sunday services. We pray for what's happening that morning. We pray for uh, staff, ministry volunteers. If we have somebody sharing as a guest speaker, we pray for them. Different things like that happen, but it's a great, powerful time of prayer. And we all pray. We pray all together at the same time out loud. And then usually Pastor Brian or another staff person closes us in prayer. It's a short but powerful time of prayer. We also have Thursday morning prayer. If you have a flexible schedule, from 11 to 11.30 in the church library, we pray each week there as well. And that's more focused on the weekly ministries of the church, as well as our own personal needs that come in through the prayer line and things like that. So we take time there to pray for what's happening throughout the week and in people's individual lives as they make that information uh, available to us as well. We also have uh, a group that typically meets monthly praying for prodigals, praying for people to come to faith in Christ, back to faith in Christ, all the above. I think the next one meets next week, Sunday evening in the library. Uh, that's another group. We also have Awana prayer. Awana meets at 6.15, shortly before Wana begins, and they pray. We also have our Sunday morning prayer team. They're off to the right. You may not notice them. It's a little bit dark over there, but they're there to actually pray for each one of you if you have a prayer concern. You can actually go over there during the worship set, tell them your concern, and they'll pray a brief, positive, faith-filled prayer Um Per your request. It's a great experience. I, I, I go there myself quite often for prayer and encourage you to do that as well. That's the prayer team. And I'm sure there's other groups meeting for prayer as well, as you're all connected to multiple ministry areas. So this is a place of prayer, and we try to model that as well. So we've got these four elements that were very important to the early believers. But here's the thing. We have to be careful not to turn these things into a simple to-do list. Some of us that are pretty type A, we're, we're always susceptible to like just ticking the box. Okay, I went to church, I went to my small group, I did my R&R journal, and, and somehow feeling good about that. But we're not doing things to earn God's favor. We're doing these things out of an overflow of thankfulness and this relationship that's real in our, in our lives with Jesus. So we have to be careful about that, that we don't feel so obedient or even proud of our uh, obedience, and a thriving church just isn't, isn't just about doing the right things. It's about having the right heart attitude and maintaining right relationships with others. Remember, even in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Jesus condemned giving, prayer, and fasting that was done with the wrong heart attitude for the wrong reasons. So we want to be devoted to God's word, fellowship, prayer, but we want to do this with the right heart attitude with God and with others. Let's move on to verse 43. I love verse 43 because it's a reminder to me that God is an awe-inspiring God. Let's read this one. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Don't you wish you could have been there during that time? What, a, what an incredible time to be a Christ follower. And yet a number of us have experienced these things in our own day and age as well. Many of you have experienced a physical healing or know someone that has or you've prayed for someone they were healed. Um, We witness the miracle of salvation with other people throughout our lives and throughout the course of ministry. Many of you have been involved in mission work. In many countries whose culture is is just different in multiple ways, they're just more open to spirituality, good and bad, and that allows... Uh, on some levels, these things that happen more often. So we've witnessed these things, we've heard about them, and we've experienced them. And yet, sometimes it feels like these moments of being in awe of God's power are just too few and far between. But I want you to think for a minute right now. Think back on your life. Perhaps you've had these pivotal moments where you were, you were in awe of God's power. It could have been that moment when you became a Christ follower or something that happened since then. I think we do have these moments where we can literally be in awe of God's goodness and his presence in our life. I think in my, in my life, I think back to um, the age of 18 to 22. That was a pivotal time for me. A lot of pivotal things happened. Um, I came to faith young in my life like age four, grew up in a Christian family. But at that point in time, 18 to 22, I resolved, I decided this is the way I'm going to live my life. This is the direction I'm going. So I really made my faith my own. I got baptized during that time. I started prioritizing my faith. I came from Canada. I'm a dual citizen now, but I came from Canada. And something that was kind of cool in that culture, especially in church circles, is families would oftentimes send their college-age student to a year of Bible college, a year of Bible school, to learn the Scriptures intensely for a year, and then go to college. That's kind of the culture up there. Many, many people did that. They still do that today. Uh, at, my, at my home church, I'd say at least half of those high school students, they're headed off to a year of Bible college. That's the culture there. So I did that too. I've got a picture. I'll show you where I got to go. What an incredible, massive city that is. This is Karenport. Saskatchewan. And um, it's a very small town. There is a Bible college there. It's called Briarcrest Bible College. And in fact, Pastor Brian's wife, Becky, her father, Carlin Weinhauer, was a professor there for what, about 15 years, right? 15 years. So, but it's an incredible place. I went to school there. I got to run those grid roads in the morning. I was in the basketball team, got to do all my training out there. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, I went stir crazy quite often and I needed to get out of there uh, because there was, I mean, you go to class, you go to your basketball practice and I was going nuts. I needed to get out of there. So uh, one weekend, some of my friends from my hometown, a couple hours away, drove up, picked me up. Then we went two hours north to another city in Saskatchewan and we were looking to get into a little bit of trouble. And I just mean, we needed to have a good, we needed to do something different than what we were doing. So, uh, part of that was, we, we decided to go to another church. It was on the weekend. So we had our fun, but we decided to go to another church. And, um, my, my friend who was going to a, don't worry, we're all, we're all kind of Bible college students. We went, my other friend who was at another Bible college said, hey, let's go to this church. It's this little Pentecostal church. They have gospel music, like Kirk Franklin and stuff. People are going to be, it's going to be exciting. So we went, it was a small little Pentecostal church, it was very lively, people were dancing, waving all sorts of objects, but the music was awesome, we loved it, and then, you know, I I think I mentioned before, guest speakers have always played some kind of role in my life, so at one point in the service, it's the time for the message, the guest speaker comes forward, a couple minutes in he goes, I want all the young people to come to the front, all the young people. And we're thinking, okay, we're not young people. We're college students, so we're looking around for the children or the high schoolers or whatever. Nobody's there. Soon it becomes apparent as they're kind of ushering us forward that me and my 15 friends are all going to the front of the church. And this is a special moment of prayer, and we're feeling a little bit uncomfortable with this. But before you know it, we all have people praying for us. And I turn around, and there's this elderly man with a cane, and he's walked up behind me, and he puts his hand on my head, and he starts praying for me. But I'll tell you what, this was an awe-inspiring moment. This this guy, I have no idea, I don't even remember his name. This elderly man that prayed for me prayed with faith and prayed some of the most encouraging things for me. Many of which have come true in my life afterwards. And I had friends there that weren't even Christians. Some of us were Bible college students. Some of us, some of them were just friends that came along, and they had people praying for them. And uh, it was it was a moment of awe. And I think we all have these moments where we can realize that God is, God is still an awe-inspiring God. We just have to be looking and, and aware of it. So these can be pivotal times in our life. Let's go back to the text. Their on God resulted in some big-time generosity. Look at verses 44 and 45. These verses talk about sharing everything they had, even selling property and possessions to share the money with those in need. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Honestly, this portion of the text can be a little bit shocking, especially because we live in a culture that places a high value on privacy and personal property. But there's a number of things worth noting, I think, as we look at this portion of the text this morning. First of all, poverty in this area would have been significant Secondly, there was this context of thousands of Jews that had made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover and then Pentecost, and now they've extended their stay as they've come to faith in Christ and they want to learn the basics of their newfound faith. So here they are, an extended stay. They have physical financial needs and need for help from from the believers that already lived there. So this isn't communism. This is voluntarily holding one's goods and, and money at the disposal of others in the Christian community which were in need. But, so while there's a, con- there's a historical context here, the point of me sharing that is not so that we can just explain it away. I think we need to, we need to feel the weight of this text too, otherwise it wouldn't, be, wouldn't have been included in the scriptures. I think Luke wanted us to feel the weight, the magnitude of this generosity that the believers had. There's a principle at work here. We're not owners of our assets. God owns, we steward. So are we willing to walk and grow in generosity? Luke, I think this must have been one of his greatest passions, if you look at his writings in the Gospel of Luke and Acts, that Christians use their possessions for the needs of others and not just for their own comforts. In the Gospel of Luke, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He tells the parable of the rich fool who built bigger and bigger barns. Uh, He tells the story of, of God's great banquet that people wouldn't come to because they had too many other concerns about their stuff. He tells the story of the dishonest manager. There's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So more than any other New Testament writer, Luke stresses the danger of letting our life be consumed by the stuff that we have. So if you're if you're taking notes, write this down. Powerful connection leads to whole life generosity. Powerful connection leads to whole life generosity. Generosity is not just about money, by the way. It's about time, using your skills, abilities, and talents for the good of others. I think back to a few years ago, I was was at a church in Southeast Fresno, and we had um we had a woman who came to one of our services. And she recommitted her life to Christ. It was really exciting. And the next week she came, started to get a little bit more connected, joined a group. We started to kind of learn a little bit more about her story, found out her spouse was incarcerated, and found out that she had some real needs. And uh, what happened was our church really did step, step up to kind of a whole life generosity type of situation. We found out her food stamps weren't making it all the way. So um, someone was able to help with that, also connect her to existing ministries that provided additional food throughout the week. She didn't have a car, so there were some, some key things happening where we were able to get her a ride from time to time. She built friendship because people invested time in her, and things started to look a lot better in her life just because she had friends in the church. I think we sometimes, for those of you that have gone to church for a long time, you forget what an incredible network and blessing it is to be a part of the church. People that are not a part of the church have their hobbies and their groups and their causes that they're in, but they don't have the depth of being part of a local church and our faith in Christ. So that happened. People uh, helped this woman build some skills. She got enrolled in a couple different classes. And, uh, oh yeah, her son was kicked out of school and he needed to attend two or three meetings at the school district way across town from where they lived in southeast Fresno, and they couldn't get him there. And the bus schedule, just, you know, public transit here isn't a forte. So then someone else in the church said, we'll give this guy rides so he can go to these meetings, and then he got back into school because of that. None of this could have happened without whole life generosity from a local church. It was really exciting for our church to be part of that. Uh, So let's be continuing to think about how we can put that into practice in our own setting here as well. Verse 46 and 47. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So what was this everyday normal practice of the church in Acts? Acts. They gathered in large groups. They went to the temple, received the apostles' teaching. They also connected in smaller groups. They met for fellowship in homes. They shared meals. They had a great depth of fellowship, sharing in the needs of others and prayer. They had real connection. I love the last part of verse 47. It says, Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. While the text here doesn't explicitly say that these new believers were sharing their faith with others, it says that whenever they gathered, they were praising God. They were enjoying the goodwill of all people. I think all people means all people, right? That's believers, that's unbelievers. So they were people of praise and they had goodwill. They had goodwill. So, my question for us today is, whatever, whatever your connection point is, is that, is your class, is your connection group, is your Bible study, is your ministry team, is it a place, as you connect, is it a place of prayer, praise, sharing, fellowship, optimism, does it create goodwill with others? I think we have that potential within us, and I think we're doing a good job and continue to grow in that area as well. Luke never writes that these conversions took place primarily through the preaching of the apostles. But I think that this, the favor that these believers had among people, among all people, that would have given them incredible opportunities to share their faith. So personal witness can add to that impact in this that setting and in our setting, can add to the impact of preaching and the the miraculous as well uh final point a thriving connected community leads to being on mission leads to being on mission what i'd like you to think today about a little bit as we close is that part of being connected to a group connection group a class some type of group is that it can it can lead to being on mission we can be people of praise within that set, setting. We can have goodwill with all people. And it can lead to being on mission. Things can happen. People can meet Jesus. I think in my in my best memories of being in a small group in my home were those times where we were, we were able to connect at least one neighbor to our connection group in our house. And even if, you know, a couple times they would only come maybe four to eight weeks or something, but it always excited me to realize that this unchurched person would come and realize, hey, these church people are not weird. They're loving, kind people that care about others, and they had a good time, and we had food, and their kids had fun, and they didn't have to pray out loud unless they wanted to. And uh, So it can be missional. Even your connection group can be missional. We've got a number of sign-ups at the back. I encourage you, choose to be a bit vulnerable. Join a group with other people and see uh, how your connection could go deeper and how your ministry could be more effective here. Um, Try something different. Perhaps you've always been in a class, or perhaps you've always gone to, uh, you know, you've gone to men's Bible study, your wife's gone to women's Bible study. Maybe try something different. Try going to a group together or starting one. If you want to lead a group, I'd love to chat with you. There's always room more, especially since we're trying to be outreach oriented with this as well. It's not just for us. We're connecting to these groups for the sake of others uh, that need to know Jesus as well. So we need safe places to grow in our faith and have a meaningful connection. One final note about connection. Social media is not going anywhere. Social media is incredible. I love it. You can feel connected, but it doesn't replace face-to-face, people-to-people fellowship. So let's in, be intentional about that as well. These, these new believers in Acts really have a lot to show us as they had this resolve and this devotion to the ways of God. We want to do that today as we seek to be a blessing to people around us. Uh, you can sign up at the back for a connection group. Love to have you do that. And if you would like to talk with me about what it would look like to follow Christ in a personal way, love to chat with you after the service. Or You can talk to Pastor Brian or whoever you came with. And again, we're just excited to do Connection God's Way here at Bethany. Would you join me as we pray and close the service today? Father, we thank you for your goodness towards us. We thank you for the example of the early church and their devotion to you, Jesus, and their countercultural faith. I pray that we could have the same countercultural faith here today at Bethany that affects our neighbors and our community May we be filled with your spirit to reach people with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.